morning, Westgate. How's everybody doing? Okay, let's try that again. That was weak sauce. How's everybody doing? There we go. Let's stand up and worship together. And in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, oh. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Right here, come on. In the silence, you won't let go.
God is good. You can go ahead and have a seat. We are so excited that you chose to worship with us today. Again, if you're first time joining us in a few weeks, we are in here because of the remodeling going on in our worship center. So that's fun. But yes, we're so excited you chose to join us. If you need sermon notes, you can get them back there at the entrance back over there or you can get them on the app. And with that being said, go ahead and take a look at the screen. Good morning, Westgate. My name is Adam Just, and I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Westgate. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. At Westgate, we are committed to helping you get deeply connected into relationships that will help you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. There are a multitude of ways we do that, from life groups to our Bible studies to classes and to various serving opportunities. And then there are just some times when we really enjoy coming together as an entire church family, worshiping and hanging out together. So get ready for an incredible day on Sunday, August 20th. It's our annual outdoor service and picnic. We're going to kick the morning off with a special outdoor worship service at 1045. So bring your folding chairs and blankets and meet up in the South Atrium parking lot for a great time together as a church family. Right after the service, we'll all head on over to the grassy area on our adjoining property for a fantastic picnic. It's going to be a time to connect with others, make new friends, and simply enjoy being together. There'll be a wide range of lawn games to play and bounce houses for the kids. We'll provide hot dogs, hamburgers, potato chips, and beverages. Plus, we're taking it up a notch this year with two dessert food trucks. So bring your neighbors, invite your friends, and let's wind down the summer together. This service and picnic are all about creating meaningful connections, having a blast, and enjoying time together. So trust us, you won't want to miss it. Make plans to join us on August 20th at 1045. Thanks again so much for joining us this morning. And if you're looking for more details about what's happening at Westgate, you can check out our Westgate app or head on over to our website at westgatechapel.org slash events. And now as we continue in our service this morning, we've got some incredible updates from the carries. Good morning, church family. I get to be, good morning. I'm so happy to see you guys. I'm Julianne. I work here doing outreach and missions. Best job ever. And I just get to share with you this morning about what God's been doing and will continue to do through one of our missions partners, the Carey family. And so in our church, we always talk about there's ways we can all engage in missions. We can pray for missions. We can um, send missionaries financially and in prayer. Um, we can uh, mobilize. We can talk to others and uh, talk about what God's doing around the world. We welcome international students and then we go. So we have a family of goers that have been part of the Westgate story since 2005. In 2005, Ben and Sarah came here before they had any kids to do an internship at Westgate Chapel. They were served here for a couple years and they weren't sure where they were going to go, but God called them to Germany. And so they've been doing this thing with the Christian Missionary Alliance where they go out for a term, which is three, four or five years, come back for a year of home assignment, go back and forth. As you can tell, they've had children along the way, and we are excited about what God is doing in Germany through them. They're concluding this year, so if you put up a German map, you might be asking, why are there missionaries in Germany? And on the German map, you can see that there are a lot of Christians. This is a religion map from 2010. But then in that eastern Germany part, there's darkness. There's not a lot of evangelical churches. And so we have been 
praying, they went and learned German, and then are up in a small town called Wachen, Northeast Germany, where there has not been a thriving evangelical Bible-believing church. And so we had them here in October sharing a little bit of their story about what God's been doing with their church and where the church that was not when they started and where is that now. So I'm going to have them give you the update on what we're doing. How's the church in Wachen now? Yeah, the Internationale Gemeinde Waren or International Church of Waren. We have roughly 60 to 70 people there on a Sunday morning. More than half of those people are non-believers, many of them hearing about Jesus for the first time, hearing the Bible stories for the first time. Uh, Germans, there are some of us Americans there, Ukrainians, Polish people, and so it's really exciting to see what kind of doors God is opening up there. And just recently, in the last month or so, couple months, we now have a new space that we can meet in. We were previously in the community center that we had built a relationship with, a partnership with, and just across the road, God opened up this space here that's available for us, and so... It'll be interesting to go see that yeah. with our real eyes. Yeah. I mean, our eyes have been real this whole time, but yeah, so we, to see it in real life. Yeah. And uh, so if you guys know of anywhere that we can get a wonderful pinkish type carpet that we can use to <laughs> do some flooring in the space, yes. just let us know. So, <laughs> All right. so they went from no church, just building bridges, to a house church in their home. And then they've been renting on Sundays, which was a huge answer to their prayer in the last couple of years. And now they have a space of their own. And so we as a church have been helping and we'll continue to send finances. So your coin races, the penny wars that came in during VBS is going to furnish the kids space. Get chairs. They've got nothing, right? So we're starting with chairs, Bibles, um, all of those things. So we're so excited to see what God has been doing and we'll continue to do. That'll be different from how he left it. Another thing in October when they were here sharing at our Missions Emphasis Week, we were asking for prayer over the church situation. And then the other thing was about national church leaders. So obviously this is not Ben and Sarah's church. This is not the American church. This is God's church. And in our uh, missionaries go, they don't want to create something that's based on them. They want it based around God and the people, the nationals. And so we have been praying for national German people to lead this church. And so when they were here in October, we sent out this prayer request. Let's pray about who that might be. So will you share what, where's that at now? Um, so I'd like to introduce you to Zalame and Tommy. Uh, Zalame and Tommy have, are very close to our heart. We've known Zalame since she was 13 years old. Uh, she's come up through our English camps, which is a big part of our ministry, and you've probably heard us share about that many, many times since we left originally. And uh, we're just really excited because Zalame has come to know the Lord through camps and been raised in a Christian home, met Tommy about five years ago. They've been married, and they came this summer to help our team that's there participate in leadership of camp again. And while they were there, our teammates really felt like the Lord was laying it on their heart to ask them if they would consider coming and joining with our team in a ministry capacity. And as they approached them, they said, we want you to pray about it. We're going to pray about it. And uh, Tommy and Salome felt like this was really what God was calling them to. And so our team furthered that question and said, well, we really see some giftings in you in pastoral care and ministry in that capacity. How about doing leadership training with the Christian Missionary Alliance and coming alongside of us, working together and becoming the pastor of the International Gemeinde Church in Wachen? 
And it makes, I can't say without crying, I'm sorry, because we've known them for years. And it just shows the fruit of when you are faithful to what God calls you to do, what he will do in and through that. And I never thought that talking to this 13-year-old girl, that here now we get the privilege to continue mentoring them in a beautiful way, and that they would then be the pastor of this church in the near future, pastoring their people, their culture. Um, so we would ask that you pray for Zalami and Tommy, just as you prayed that God would send the right couple. We are so thrilled to go back now and journey with them in this new step as they continue leadership training with the Alliance, move to Varen, and uh, we get to participate in helping them pastor their church uh, of German people and Ukrainian people and Polish people yes. and an international government. Praise God, yes, that is amazing. We want to celebrate answer to prayer. Thank you, God. There's so those two huge prayer requests. Um, as we said, there's lots that you guys are going back to things that are the same. You help establish your home in Germany and also things that will be different. So as we are sending you off for the next four years-ish, we'll see what that looks like. Will you tell me how else you want our church praying for you? What, what does the immediate future, starting Thursday in airplanes, and then over the term, what do you want us lifting up in prayer? Yeah, there's a lot happening starting Thursday. Thursday, we board a plane and head back to Germany, and it's just a lot of transition. Again, as you know, we have four kids, so if you would pray that we have safe travels um, and pray for transition back home. Um, there's a lot of new again, and it's beautiful, and we're excited about it. If you just um, pray for the kids because we go back to new schools. They just came here and did new all over again, and now we go back, and they go back to new schools because they're all in different grades again. Um, and so even though it's home, it's a lot of new. Uh, as you heard, we've got great things going on with church. We've been gone a year. We have no idea what this building looks like with our own eyes. We have no idea some of the new families we haven't met and we're just so excited to go back and so um, that's exciting and then two weeks after we arrive we get to welcome a whole bunch of Westgate people to come and help us with camp and that's exciting it's fast though we're only there yes. two weeks so we better unpack really fast um, <laughs> but it's exciting and we are super glad to see what God's doing in and through that because it's the Zalames and people that come up through those English camps and you get to participate in that and yes. we love that so yeah, your prayers are very, very much appreciated. And if you don't know yet, guys, God works through prayer. And it's an honor to be able to join in prayer with you guys. And we love and appreciate and value that Great. very, well, very we, much. We'll pray now. We're going to invite uh, Paul and Diana and the Carrie kids up to pray. And also we're praying this Wednesday at Missions Prayer. We, As we said, we want to be ascending church that sends in finances and um, support, encouragement. And... Um, and also, yeah, we believe that God has us to be senders. So if you're going to be sent, let's start the conversation about how we can keep sending our people off. Um, one last final thing before we pray. Is there anything you want the church to hear while you're here? Yes. What is it? Just a very heartfelt and deep thank you from our family uh, to you guys, to the Westgate Chapel family, our church family here. Uh, your prayers, support, encouragement, communications, emails, hugs, all of those, even virtual hugs, are huge and helpful. And th that we're doing this together and through our partnership and encouraging and building each other up, we're able to see hopefully that northeast corner of Germany brighten yes. up That's a little bit and change shades of colors. And so thank you for being a part of that with us through all these years. And we're so thankful for you. Tausend Dank. Thousand yeah. <laughs> dunk. Um, so we're going to have Paul and Diana. They have been known the Carrie since they joined us in 2005 and following along. And so we're going to have them pray for you now. And church, if you guys want to raise a hand, maybe extend a hand and lift them up in prayer, whatever you feel comfortable. This is us. We are the church together sending our family.
I just want to say real quick what a privilege and a blessing you guys have been this year. Um, you kids included. You're amazing kids. And um, God is pleased, I think. We, we just appreciate you all so much. Yes. Let's pray. Lord God, we just... Uh, come before you this morning, um, able to worship together, and it might be for the last time in uh, Ohio for a while, but uh, we will be worshiping together next Sunday in different countries. We just uh, take this time to tell you how grateful we are for giving the carries to us, even though it was for a year. Um, goodbyes are always hard. Hellos are much better but they will be saying hello again to their German friends and teammates, and we just pray that you would walk before them, surround them with your love. Just give them peace, comfort, travel mercies, and as Hannah and Travis go to boarding school, that you would be with them. Um, give them good friends, Lord. Um, and as they leave friends behind, we know that the friendships don't stop there. We just pray for the other kids, uh, Leah and Emma, that you would just be with them in their schools and that the language would come quickly back to them as um, they've been speaking English all this time and now they'll have to do German again. But we love them. We send them um, with your care. And uh, we just ask this in Jesus' name. And Father, as uh, we continue in prayer, um, we... Uh, come before you with mixed emotions uh, as the sending church for Ben and Sarah and their family. Um, we're excited uh, to send them off again to the works that you have uh, prepared for them. Uh, but we are also, we love them and uh, are just sad to see them uh, depart from us. And the blessing that they have been to us in this church over the last year. Father, we pray for their ministry. Um, they are your messengers in Germany, the ones that you have anointed uh, to do your work. And so, Lord, we, uh, we ask that you would go before them, uh, help them to hit the ground running. They have a very short window before our team from Westgate uh, joins them for English camp. We pray, Father, that uh, your hand would be on that camp, uh, that we would see much fruit from that, and that uh, through the ministry, uh, not only of the, the camp, but uh, of what they're doing with their church, uh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for providing for them the building. We just pray that the uh, renovations would go well, that uh, uh, it would be a, a welcoming and warm place uh, where families could come and uh, learn so much more about you and that many would put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as a result. Lord, I also pray for their team, uh, that uh, you would give uh, Ben and Sarah wisdom as they lead and they guide and direct their team. And with the youngs uh, coming back, uh, that leaves a void. So we pray that you would raise up leaders there uh, and that uh, Ben and Sarah could disciple and train them. Uh, but most of all, Father, uh, as the Westgate body, uh, we commit to you our continued support for them, not only financially, but certainly more importantly, spiritually, that uh, we be committed to pray for them regularly, for their ministry, for their family, for their needs, and that, Father, you would go before them 
in all that they do and that they would just glorify and honor you in all the works that you have for them to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Diana. So we're going to put up the QR code. If you want to follow along and get their monthly newsletter emailed to you, this is how to do it. And after service, we have a party set up. Normally, we're doing coffee and kuchen in German. Today, we're doing an American send-off with baseball-themed root beer floats, big league chew. It's silly. And so we'd love for you to go over there, write a note of encouragement, say goodbye to our Carrie family, and um, just have fun together. And with that, speaking of having fun, will you guys stand up and meet somebody new here this morning? church family. Let's sing of God's faithfulness through the ages. He never fails us, amen. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and of faithful promises. And time and time again, you have proven you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast in the my heart. Learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Sing it out. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness. Sun to the setting, same I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me.
the gift of your presence. Thank you that Jesus made a way for us to walk in communion with you, to abide with you, Lord Jesus, to press in and receive all of your character, Father. Lord, I pray that if there's anything in our lives that are blocking us, that are keeping us from experiencing the fullness of who you are, Lord, I pray that you would remove it. Lord, give us ears to hear the word that you have for us today. In your holy, holy name we pray, amen. We're going to continue in our um, worship this morning through the act of giving. So if those of you who are sitting on the aisle could take the black tithing buckets and pass those out to the ends, we'd be grateful. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. Glad to be with you this morning. My name is Steve Fisher. I'm the pastor of student ministry here at the church, working with our high school students. It's good to be with you as uh, recently uh, we just actually got back, if you didn't know, from a large trip. We took 24 students and leaders to Costa Rica two weeks ago uh, to go serve uh, with a partner organization called Inkalink that looks to reach the 300,000, 300 million students of um, Central America with the love of Jesus. And so here's what I want to tell you. Thank you. Um, there were many of you who gave... Uh, a lot for us to go. Um, taking that many people on planes and everything else that we need to do, uh, you gave financially uh, so that others could go. Thank you for sending us. Thank you for parents uh, that trusted me and other leaders with your young student uh, to go to another country um, and, and serve uh, the nations, right? We talk about we want to serve the neighbors, our neighbors and the nations. And so you sent them. And thank you for so many of you that prayed for our trip. Uh, I know lots of you grabbed those cards that we had. We're praying for our students and leaders faithfully over that. Uh, we had an incredible time. Um, and you'll hear more of that at the end of August. We kind of have a testimony Sunday where you'll hear from students that went on that trip, including others. Uh, and so I want to encourage you for that. But we saw a uh, students hear from God, respond to him. We had two students that got baptized in the back of the church where there's like this river slash creek coming down the mountain. It was the coldest, dirtiest thing I've ever baptized anyone in. And it was amazing. Um, we saw students who were hearing and listening to God and talked to them about their life of whether or not that could include uh, either short-term or full-time ministry overseas. We also had leaders, including myself, who come back impacted because I got out of my way. You know how sometimes you're just in the way from hearing from God and you get out of your house, you get out of maybe the norm, out of the comfort zone, and all of a sudden, like, that just opens up an avenue to hear from God. And so that happened over and over. So 
thank you for sending us. And we hope that in the future, uh, you are going to be able to go as well. We want to continue to send people to our uh, partners, like in Germany, we just talked about sending the carries back home, going there. We're sending people here in a couple weeks. Continue to send people uh, to Costa Rica. Okay, that's my thank you. We are in. Mark, how long we've been in this book? A while. That's a, <laughs> we've, we, it's been so long we've had to break it up into two sections. Uh, we had section one and now section two. This is, I just saw a movie with my young son. And at the end of it, it said, to be continued. And he stood up in the theater and said, this is a rip. We paid for only half a movie. But sometimes it's just so good, you got to split it up into two. And so that's what we're doing with Mark. And, and we saw Pastor Rob talk two weeks ago that there is this transition between what we titled kind of our first part of Mark, which is who is this man, as the questions of who is Jesus is being raised, and this change that Mark takes now as we come to the kind of the end, the conclusion that Jesus is this servant king. And so we'll see that really clearly today. Um, we're not going to get through of all of chapter 11, but we'll get through a good section of it. So actually, let's read. Um, we're going to read 1 through 21 to start with, and then we'll go ahead and talk about it. So you can either read it on the screen or follow along or read in your own Bible or app or whatever you want to do. All right, let's go. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, and th they brought the colt to Jesus and threw the cloaks over it. He sat on it. Many people spread cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seen in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them, and he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. The chief priest and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its root. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. We're going to stop there. All right. So, 
Our story starts, uh, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for Passover. This is uh, one of the feast, well, this is the feast that you need to be in Jerusalem to have your sacrifices be performed at the temple, right, for the atonement of your sins. And so people are coming from all over to come to the temple. And as Jesus comes, and sometimes we call this, right, like his triumphal entry, right, his grand entry into Jerusalem, we have people greeting him as though he is a king. They're shouting and saying that the kingdom of David is coming. This is going to be the king. And so we clearly do get this switch from at one point Jesus saying, hey, don't tell anybody who I am, to now the masses praising him as he comes in. And yet he comes in differently than with a huge army or on this, you know, great steed. Instead, he comes in on a donkey. This goes back to the prophecy hundreds of years earlier when in Zechariah 9.9 it says this about the coming kingdom. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to to you, righteous and victorious, but lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so at one sense, Jesus is the king... We'll put king on the right today. The king, and yet he is also coming in lowly on a donkey as a servant. And so we get him riding in. The crowd is waving these leaves, right? We celebrate this often at Palm Sunday. They're screaming for him. They're all about Jesus. And Jesus gets there, and it says he goes to the temple. It's just interesting as I'm reading this. So he gets to the temple, but then what does it say? It's like it's already late. So he kind of looks around and he heads back home. Do you ever have, you know, a big trip you're on and you have some plans right when you get there, but the travel maybe is long and you're tired and you get there and you look around and you're like, ah, maybe tomorrow. You ever done that? Maybe tomorrow. And so I wonder as Jesus comes in and he sees what's going on, I know he, he knows what's going to happen next and maybe tomorrow. And so he goes out, he goes back and he stays in the house of Bethany, probably Lazarus' house and his, and his sisters. But, and he's going to come back in, and that's where kind of I'm going to spend a lot of time on. When he comes back in, we get this story of a fig tree. We get a story of then him clearing the temple. And so as we talk about this, this is often a passage that confuses people, right? He comes and he looks for this fig. You just heard it, and it's not the season for figs. Like, what is he doing? And then he curses this tree. In fact, this passage is used, um, my friends know this, I, I love debates. It's like my favorite thing in the world. I love listening to bait, debates. And so often people will use this to criticize Jesus' deity. One, in that shouldn't he know that there's no figs if it's not fig season? Like what's he doing? And then, and then secondly, if he's supposed to be this righteous God, why is he cursing this fig tree that didn't do anything wrong and now he's causing it to wither and die and so people yeah they use this verse and I think they use it because we don't understand some of the backstory or some of the other things to really get what is Jesus teaching so let me give you the first one figs and fig trees in the Old Testament because remember Jesus is Jewish he would have read his Old Testament hopefully you have read some of it as well 
he would have seen this over and over, that many of the prophets used the fig tree in a way to talk about the people of Israel, of whether they were doing well, both really physically and spiritually, or if they were not doing well, then the tree would be withered or devoured or scorched. If it was doing well, then it was producing tons of figs, and there was plenty of figs to go around. They would even say things like in 1 Kings 4.25, when talking about Solomon's reign and that there was peace there, it says, And in Judah and Israel lived in safety, from Dan even to Bathsheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. This is used actually several times of if every man has his own fig tree, it's like the people of Israel are doing well. If you remember when uh, the, the spies go in to look at the promised land and they bring back grapes, pomegranates, and figs. Because it was this representation of God's abundance, his provision, his protection. But then as the people rebel against God, as they devote their hearts to idols, we see that the figs go from being ripe and full and, and, and multiplying to being withered, to being struck down. Amos says it this way when speaking on God's behalf. I struck you with blight and with mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locust devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Constantly is this this. Someone came up afterwards and said, you really need to use the word figurative in this talk. <laughs> I had it in the first, but I was, I was like, okay, I will. Okay, so the fig tree is representing figuratively what is happening in the hearts of the people. Jeremiah at one point, chapter 24, sees two baskets. God shows him two baskets. So God is even using this at, for the people. He said, look, there's one basket that's full of ripe, juicy, right, nutritious figs. Nutritious isn't in there, but you get the point. And the other one is withered and rotted and is good for nothing. And he talks about the people that have been exiled, that there is a remnant, that there is a group that stays faithful, and that they will be blessed and will multiply just like the healthy figs. But there's those that have turned away, uh, have abandoned God, and they are like the rotted basket of figs, good for nothing. This is used over and over in our Bibles. So much so that I even, as I'm like, you know, you're doing word studies as a pastor. You know, I'm sitting down and I'm like, okay, I'm looking at figs. I want to find every time in the Bible it talks about figs. And I'm going, and the first time the fig tree is mentioned, do you know where it's mentioned the first time in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. As Adam and Eve sin, they realize their nakedness and shame. And you know what it says? They take fig leaves to hide, to cover themselves up. It was just fascinating to me as I think as the leaf is plucked off the tree, it's going to stay green for a little while. It's going to cover things for a while. But then it's going to start to shrivel and shrink 
and rot and decay because it's no longer connected to the source of life. Isn't it interesting that Adam and Eve themselves get disconnected from the source of life? They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they start to die. It's fascinating to think that. So all throughout the Old Testament, we see these figs are used as a way to talk about the people of Israel. Really, their heart condition. Okay, so that's one thing. So remember that. Secondly, the Old Testament is full of object lessons. The prophets, especially as the prophets spoke on behalf of God, they often used real tangible things to help teach a point. This is... You know, this is what youth pastors do a whole bunch, right? We're trying to teach you something that you can see and touch and taste and smell and feel so that you can understand maybe a spiritual reality that's harder to grasp. Do you know how many times this is done in the Old Testament? Let me give you a, a few of the highlights. These ones are interesting. Jeremiah 19, he's, he takes the jars of clay and he starts smashing them as he's preaching. That would, I just need one of those for when some of you start to like you know, do this because you're, you know, smash a couple and make the point. So he's smashing the jars of clay to make this point about what God's going to do. Ezekiel 4, he tells them, go bake some bread and eat it in front of the people that you're preaching to, that you're prophesying to. Do you remember this one? You remember what he's supposed to bake the bread over? Human excrement. He's like, oh, I can't do that. God's like, okay, cook it over cow dung instead because I'm going to make the point to the people. They just, they get Isaiah's told to go preach naked for like three years. Isaiah 20, you can write it down, go read it. How about, how about Hosea? Hosea's like whole life. God says, hey, I'm going to, I want you to go marry essentially a prostitute and then your relationship and her unfaithfulness to you is the example of what Israel has done to God. The object lesson is used over and over and over again. Okay, so we have fig tree being this representation of, of the people's heart. We have object lessons that's used all the time. And now here's the last thing. Mark, and other writers do this, but Mark does this several times. They sometimes call it a Mark and Sandwich, which is he starts a story, story A, and he gets, you know, halfway, three-quarters of the way through it, and then it just stops. And then we get story B that doesn't seem to relate at all to the, the previous story, and that comes to a conclusion, and then we get the end of story A. So it's like half a story A, all of story B, second half of story A. He does this several times throughout the book of Mark. If you're paying attention, you might see this. If you remember actually last time that I was up here teaching you guys, we were talking actually about this, this very thing, that his parents, remember his family thought Jesus was crazy, and then we had in the middle of that story this questioning on who Jesus was. And so what happens is that while story B is kind of the, the main story, story A, the, on the outside, the sandwich parts, is the commentary for how you are to understand story B. Are you following along with me? And so even though I'm not 
technically talking about the same thing, we should see it as, hey, I'm saying something about what's going to happen here in the middle. Okay, put all three of those together as we go back and we read this story about the figs. So Jesus comes. Oh, by the way, where he's coming from is, is the, the town is house of the unripe fig. Bethphage, that's what that means, house of the unripe fig. So, which is just, sometimes you just miss it, right? And this is why being a pastor is awesome because I get paid to study the Bible and see those things. You're like, oh, hint, this is probably important. And so as he comes to the tree, he sees that it has leaves. That's actually a real fig tree in Israel, right? The land was full of them. And so he sees that there's leaves on the tree and being hungry, he goes to search if there's anything there. He doesn't find anything, just leaves. There's no fruit. And so he curses it, which has really stumped people before. Like what, what is happening? So here's a couple thoughts. Uh, one, that, it, that a fig tree, this is in like the early, the spring, the figs are normally ready in the fall. But in the early part of the spring, you have these little baby figs. There's a technical name for them. I tried to pronounce it like 10 times. I couldn't, so we're calling them baby figs, okay? There's baby unripe figs. Because, and actually, those are going to show up before even the leaves typically would show up. And so these little baby figs, they're bitter. They're not that great, but there's like some nutritional value to them. Sometimes how you talk about like maybe your spouse is cooking. Uh, it's not great, but some nutritional value. <laughs> I do all the cooking in my home, so I'm allowed to make that joke. Okay. So... They actually talk that some people, especially travelers, uh, you're the, the super poor, would go like, I need something, I'm going to eat these. So they're not great, but I'm still going to eat these. And so Jesus came maybe looking for these little first fruit figs, that this is what he was looking. And if there was no first fruit figs, there obviously is not going to be any figs like full grown later on. So that's what some people think. The other one, here we go, full-on figs, is that they talk about that obviously not, there's lots of variety of figs, and that there would have been some figs in the area, while kind of more unique and sparse, that would have developed and ripened earlier. And because the tree was in full kind of leaf, that was maybe a sign that this was one of those trees. That this was one of the trees that would have fruit there. And so when he gets there, he doesn't not just find baby figs, right? He's actually looking for full-on figs, but he doesn't find them. Here's what I, and those could both be true. Here's what I have the problem with, though. As I read Mark, Mark tells you it's not the season for figs. Like, why would he say that? If that was the point, right? Like, oh, this was a, this fig tree should have had it on there. No, he said it wasn't the time. And so here's what some, which I believe what some commentators, scholars would say, the point's not the fig tree. It never was the fig tree. And so the fact that there isn't any figs is supposed to clue you in that he's trying to teach them something. And 
what is he going to teach them? Well, they come into now the temple. So Jesus is walking, curses the no fruit fig tree. He walks into the temple and it says he starts turning over tables. Starts flipping the tables, flipping the seats. This is any of you have children or was that child that when they lost the board game, Monopoly, what'd you do with it? Sorry, can't play anymore. This was me as a child. I got grounded because I was such a bad loser. I'd rather flip it before the actual count because then you can't really tell who won, who lost. Jesus comes in flipping tables. And so was he hungry because he didn't get breakfast? Hangry? No. Here's what's going on. As he comes in, this is, remember, there are tens of thousands of people coming to the temple to worship, to offer their sacrifice as they're supposed to. And as they come in, as they travel in, they're going to need animals to sacrifice. For many, it would have been too hard to try to bring anything. And so they would have had to buy animals when they get there. Many of you Many of you have been longtime students of the word. You know this, okay? So let me remind you of what you know. And for maybe some of you, you go, okay, this is new, so pay attention. But as he comes in, the temple is set up kind of like a rectangle that gets smaller and smaller with different courts as you go in. But the opening court was called the court of Gentiles. And that is where anybody could come in, where anybody could come in and pray and worship And in the middle of this, they're selling sheep and doves. They're exchanging money because only certain money can be used in the temple. And what's happening as we read this is that they are overcharging everyone. They're using it to extort people. Now, this is just a money grab. The leaders have now turned this into essentially just one, it should be like the court of greed, There is no longer a place for people to worship, but instead to be ripped off by my religious leaders. Jesus walks into this. He's disgusted by this. Remember, this is is happening right after they're waving the leaves for him, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then are going to just crucify him a few days later. And he comes into a hustle and bustle of the temple. Maybe on the outside you look like, wow, something's really happening here. This is great. You know, people say that sometimes to come to church. Wow, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of buzz. This is awesome. And But what Jesus is doing is exposing that there is no true faith. There isn't righteousness there. There is this outward showing, this leafy greens with no fruit. And he's tired of it. He's done. He's let it go on, but no more. And so as he flips the table, as he spreads people out, it says he wouldn't even let people go through with their merchandise, meaning like he's stopping everything. And he quotes from the Old Testament in Isaiah 56 when it's talking about Gentiles coming and worshiping with Jews that there was always room for the outsider to come in to worship God. 
These I will bring to my holy mountain, meaning the Gentiles, those that aren't part of the Jewish family. But I'm going to bring all these people to me. I will give them joy in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted at my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He quotes again from Jeremiah 7.11 where Jeremiah is talking about this false religion. He says, has this house which bears my name become a, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. He says, this, you have all the leafy green. You have everything that looks like outward righteousness. But what is going on? You have made what should be a house of prayer for all nations into a den of robbers. Some of Jesus' strongest critiques is of the religious leaders who just are hypocrites in their life. Matthew 23, 27, and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. You are also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The king is fed up. The king is done. Now as I come, as we talk about Jesus coming king, the coming king comes to judge. He judges justly, but he comes to judge. And so as I, as I sit, I hope as you sit, and I go, how much am I just leafy greens? How much do I show? I want this outward show of righteousness. Boy, God has just so sanctified me, and we use these big words. And then yet we go home, and I'm terrible to my spouse. I have no fruit of the Spirit in my life. I have no love for the poor or the widow or the orphan. I, I dress really nice on a Sunday morning, though. Jesus has, has, has done. He says, I'm done. And the king comes with authority and power. We get back to the end of story B, or story A. We start with him cursing the tree, then we come in him flipping the temples, and then as they come back the next morning, Peter, always quick to speak, what does he say? It's completely withered down to the root, meaning it's not just starting to go. It's, it's gone. There is nothing left of it. There's no leafy greens left. There's no semblance of a healthy tree. It is finished. It's finished. And this is, this is true, right? This, as God comes back, as Jesus comes as coming king, we talk about that, right, for Christians in this room, right, that's like this glorious thing. We sometimes can't wait till Jesus comes, right? Jesus come because it's our, like, blessed hope. And then yet you realize when you go Jesus come, that also means judgment and finality to those who are not connected to him. 
Luke 13, uh, 6 through 8, Jesus says this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears no fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. I was thinking of this as I'm just reading these passages and Jesus comes and Right, He overturns the temple. He is bringing judgment on the temple, the corruption that is happening. And for those that when we feel like justice isn't being served, we want the king of justice. We want him to come and do something. And, and he's going to. But then I'm sitting there going, man, maybe I should be more like that farmer in the parable when I think about this. Because when Jesus comes and he curses the fig tree, there's a finality to it. It's done. And I don't know about you, but like, I still have family members that are far from Christ. Do you guys, I still have friends that don't know him. I have neighbors that don't know him. Why am I wanting Jesus to come back when really I should be going can you wait a little longer? When the king comes, he comes the judge. And that is, that's a great thing for those of us who are with him and are going to be declared righteous through him. But man, like, God, one more year. Wait one more. It, maybe, maybe this person will come, come back. I think this is where it talks about, um, there's two passages that reminded me of this. First and second Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. As the band comes up, I'll, I'll read you another one here. This is Romans 2, uh, 3, and 4. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same thing, you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God is patient with us. When we talk about a king who's going to come and judge we should think of it in the context, he is waiting. He doesn't want any to perish. His slowness is so that you would have every opportunity to repent, to come to him. For every opportunity for your child, for your mother and your father, for your best friend. He's not slow in keeping the promise as the coming king with authority and power power he is patient his kindness is meant so that you it would lead you to repentance can i give you uh, kind of maybe three closing applications for this um i think this is a 
pretty stern warning for us Christians, for those that are the religious ones, that God is not happy with just this outward show. We read it, come on, you, you've read it over and over. And we like to put the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, oh, I would never be like that. But I think we need to question and look, what is being produced in my life? Is there fruit? Because if I'm connected to Christ, it says that the Holy Spirit, it's going to bear fruit in you. You just don't like, and I get some figs. I don't just try harder and get figs. No, I stay connected to him that will bear fruit. And so when my life is no fruit but all leaves, it's, it's, it's a condemnation that we are hypocrites, that we are not connected to the vine. Is there fruit in your life? Secondly, um, for those of uh, you who have friends and family far from Christ, this is both encouraging um, and, and hard, is that he does come. There's a point where there is, it's done. There's no more chances, right? I've given you every chance I can. But then I'll let you go. If you don't want to bear fruit, great. You will never bear fruit again. Man, so pray for those people in your life and ask God that his kindness, his patience would lead to repentance. And then maybe lastly, if you are in this room and you have never put your faith in Christ, uh, it is not too late to start bearing fruit. You could say like, man, I've missed the best opportunities in my life or man, I, I've been bearing some bad fruit. I've had some rotten figs for a lot of years. Man, it is never too late to turn that over to Christ and to say, hey, would you change me? Would you give me a new heart? Would you take what is hard and make it soft? And then would you do something in my life? That's simply just saying, man, I've sinned. I've repented. You're Lord of my life. And if that's you, I mean, you could pray that as we sing. You can pray that after the service. We have people waiting to pray with you in the back. Um, it is not too late. You could start bearing fruit before you walk out of this door. Let's pray. Dear God, um, I pray that uh, our lives, we would not uh, have withered hearts like the withered figs but that we would stay connected to you. Um, that we would not be hypocrites. That we would not just be waving leaves. But that you would bear much fruit in us. We thank you that you are patient with us. With others and with me personally, you are patient. You want none to perish, but to come to life in you. Amen.
encourage you with the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away, and it withers. And such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you would remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. God, we ask that you would bear, through the power of your Spirit, much fruit in our lives. Uh, apart from you, we can do nothing. Uh, can't just try harder, be better. Uh, it's only staying connected to you. So as a church, would we do that? Uh, Would we stay connected? Would you produce much fruit in our lives for your glory? In your name, amen. Have a great Sunday, guys. We'll see you here next week.